Welcome to Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Being a fireman, father, veteran, husband, world record holder, and Ironman, he brings stories of experience to impact your life while challenging you to live it. What do you want from your life? Why do you want it? Are you willing to go through the challenges to get there? If you have the courage to take that first step, let this podcast be the catalyst to start your fire while you bring the resilience to make it continue to burn. Our lives are made up of moments called right nows. So let's get started. Forged in the Fires podcast with your host, Fireman Rob, begins now. We got the same love, the same love. Stay by your side, it's right over. All right, welcome back to Forge in the Fires podcast. I'm your host, Fireman Rob. Today, I actually could probably switch spots with this gentleman because he's the host of Breakfast with Bob, Babbittville Radio. He's the co-founder of CAF. He is a man among, he's like a myth. He's like a legend. He's an Ironman and USA Triathlon Hall of Famer. He just won the Lifetime Kudos uh, contributor award from Global Triathlon Awards. Without further ado, Mr. Bob Babbitt, thanks for joining me. Robbie, I think I need to bring you with uh, to introduce me at every every event. I love that. Thank you. I'm 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 in. I'm in. <laughs> uh, you know, we've 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 been we've been uh, friends for a while, and we've gotten to uh, go through so much. But your your legacy, and I I love this about you, is that your legacy is. You are the most amazing storyteller, and you bring to life the person behind the athletes, behind the challenge athletes. What does that mean to you more than the, all the awards that you've had? What does that legacy mean to you that you're, you're that ultimate storyteller? Yeah, what, I, what I love about the, when you tell the story of somebody, because I think a lot of times, and this goes back to really when I first found out about the disabled sports, uh, I was working at... Um, I was working at a magazine called Running News that uh, became Running and Triathlon News. And it's one thing to go cover a running event and talk to a runner who wins the race. And they're like, yeah, I made my move at mile three. And that's great. (laughs) But then the average person at home, do they really relate to that? And it's like, okay, I I picked it up to a 430 pace and then I dropped off to five. We can't. (laughs) They're speaking gibberish. It makes no sense. But then I met a guy, an Olympic trials pole vaulter by the name of Jim Kanab. And Jim had been, you know, Olymp- he had been in the Olympic trials and then he was heading to track practice one day on his motorcycle, got hit by a car and became uh, paralyzed from the waist down. And he started doing wheelchair ra- racing at the running events. And back then, the runners weren't that open to having something with wheels on the really? race at the race course. Because think about it. If you guys got if you got somebody going a, you know, oh, a five minute mile. And then you've got a guy who's going a three and a half minute mile in his wheelchair. You're stretching right. out the safety for the event, right? Oh, that's true. The yeah, police, yeah. Need, yeah, you're blocking off intersections, all the rest of it. So, but Jimmy was so insistent. He said, well, this is a road race. I'm in a racing chair. I should be able to participate. And more than that, I should be getting the prize money. I'm winning. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wearing a Dalmatian suit. And, um, you know, and back then racing chairs were like four wheeled shopping carts. These things were so tippy and really scary. Anyways, there was something oh about God. him that was intriguing to me. 
And so I'm interviewing him at his, at his, at his house in Long Beach. And uh, I'm, I'm chatting with him. And then I notice while I'm sitting in a chair, there's a nickel on the floor. And what's your yeah. first thought? Oh, the poor guy in a wheelchair can't pick up the nickel off the floor. So I go to pick up the nickel off the floor. It's glued to the floor. And I look up and there's Jim Kanab drinking a beer, smiling at me. And he's like, so dude, you didn't think the poor paralyzed guy could pick up a nickel off the floor? And I'm like, guilty. And he goes, here's, here's lesson number one. Don't ever underestimate anyone. And that has never left me. That is something that it was so important that I wasn't going to get from covering some guy running a four minute mile race, but I was going to get that backstory and then talk to other looked at Jimmy as the pipe piper. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm in rehab and they're telling us everything you can't do. Okay. You need to get a van with a lift on it because you're never going to be able to drive a pickup truck again. You're never going to be able to do this. And he goes, I'm looking out the window and there's some guy who's going to come speak to us named Jim Kanab. And he's in a 62 Rambler convertible and he (laughs) reaches behind him and grabs his chair and flings it next to the car and basically dives into the chair, right? (laughs) And rolls in to the rehab center and says, okay, they've told you what you can't do. I'm here to tell you what you can do. There was just something liberating about what he was saying and that story. And from Jimmy, you know, then you meet Dave Bailey, who was a motocross world champion before he was paralyzed. And Kanab was the one telling him, dude, wheelchair racing is going to be more mean more to you than motocross ever did. And Bailey's sitting there going, dude, I was making 750K a year in 1986 <laughs> before I was paralyzed. How is this ever going to mean more? But right. Jimmy took him, he took him, um, he, he took him deep sea fishing. He went parachuting. They did all this stuff. Oh and God. he taught Bailey that, yeah, your life is different, but it's not over. And you can embrace life the way you did before. And when you're trying to get from your van to your chair, he goes, that's an athletic event, right? It's, oh, I can I get, when I was a pole vaulter, I got three shots to get over to bar. When right. I'm getting out of my, pick, my pickup truck or my Rambler and I'm trying to get in my <laughs> chair, I got one shot or my ass is on the ground. <laughs> it, it just, so then you, know, you meet Kanab and you start, started covering the wheelchair races. And then actually what was funny about that is there was a bike race in La Jolla, California called the La Jolla Grand Prix bike race. And it was the top men and women. And it was a criterium, uh, team Seven Eleven. all these great cyclists. Yeah. And they had 40,000 spectators. And I was like, you know, it'd be really cool. Imagine because our wheelchairs have wheels. What if we added a wheelchair criterium in between the women's bike race and a men's bike race? And this is long before CAF. This is like 88. Oh, wow. oh yeah. This is 88, 89 era. So uh, Richard Brine, the creator of speed play pedals down the line eventually, and actually the originator of the aero bars, oh, he created those before uh, Boone Lennon did uh, the, the, his, his DH bars. Anyways, Richard put on this La Jolla Grand Prix and he's like, I love it. Let's do it. So I brought in, you know, Jim Knob and David Bailey and uh, Bob, K- all these great wheelchair racers. And yeah. so now people are watching, they're in between a women's race and a men's race. And it's a 5K and it's, you know, it's a 1K, it's a 1K loop. Every loop, there's a preem 
and you're seeing these guys go around the corners on two wheels. You know, this guy, Craig Blanchett, <laughs> who was the original just do it athlete for Nike. He was, he ended no up winning the race. And, but he and Kanab had this rivalry where the two of them couldn't like each other. And so it, what I loved about that one, the, the, we ended up being on the front page of the sports section in San Diego yeah. because it was such a cool story. Two is Blanchett was, you know, when you saw that just do it commercials, the first just do it commercial for Nike, you saw him playing racquetball. You saw him lifting weights. You didn't see that he was missing both his legs until the end of the commercial. It was oh, very, smart. very cool. And wow. then when you start seeing a company like Nike getting involved with, with athletes with uh, challenges or disabilities, uh, you realize that there's a bigger purpose here and there's a bigger meaning. So anyways, watching that and watching these guys race. And, and then the other thing, it just hit me. You know, it's great to, to have this showcase for wheelchair athletes, but you know who needs to see this? The athletes in the rehab centers. So I got yeah. a flatbed truck, put it at the first turn, <laughs> brought in rehab patients from Scripps and Sharp Hospital. Why wouldn't you, Bob? Some, put up some umbrellas right on there. Oh, my gosh. And then our, the guys were up there. You had people who were quadriplegics. Actually, it was one quadriplegic who actually had been a triathlete named Dave Kernow who was hit while I was riding his bike. And I'm interviewing David during the yeah. event and saying, David, why is this important? And he goes, you know what? It's important. I don't know if I'll ever get to what those guys are doing, but I need to know that it's possible. So right. that's the cool part is it allowed them, allowed him to see what was possible. Him and others need to see what's possible. And that's what made that event really, really special. But back Gosh. to, back to little Rudy. So yeah. here's, here's little Rudy who's, uh, has both legs amputated at the age of five. And um, he, he gets prosthetic legs from the state that were held together with bungee cords. And his mom <laughs> is reaching out to the prosthetist at Loma Linda Hospital, where Rudy you know, lives in that area, and saying, so Rudy's missing both legs above the knee, had him amputated. When's he going to run? And Michael Davidson, who's Rudy's prosthetist to this day, goes, lady, he's on stilts when he's got legs. Most likely, he'll be in a wheelchair. Maybe yeah. he'll use a walker every once in a while, but he's certainly not going to run. So <laughs> the following week, Rudy's mom, Sandy, would call the guy again. Michael, when's Rudy going to run? Like, okay, why don't you bring your kid in here so I can tell you face-to-face -face why your kid will never run. So she brings Rudy in, and Michael says to me, he goes, Bob, I walk into the waiting room, and the kid's doing a handstand on the walker. And I figure <laughs> if he wants to run, I better figure it out. And so yeah. the two of them became collaborators. His collaborator was six, seven, and eight years old. And everything you see with prosthetics now, the yeah. C-sprint, the, the carbon fiber, all of that came from the work that they did when Rudy was seven, eight, nine, and 10 years old. Because kids who were double amputees were told you will never run. Well, Rudy, the first time Rudy and I did a mile together at this Carlsbad Marathon, they had a one-mile run, 21 minutes, right? Rudy and his, yeah. what looked like, uh, they look like Tinker Toys, uh, his legs with all different color pieces <laughs> and knees. And oh, all my gosh. Yeah, 21 minutes and got to the point where he was running, you know, he, he was running sub six. So that he changed everything, he changed the whole face of prosthetics, changed the whole face of what a amputee could do. And, yeah. you know, so Rudy was and, and the cool part is this is the thing that that I'm proudest of is Rudy now works at CAF. He's 34 years old. 
That's so And awesome. he works at CAF. He was just in Chicago this weekend at the auto show with Toyota. Toyota is a global sponsor of CAF. And they gave out four grants this weekend. And Rudy wow. was there running the clinics, wheelchair basketball. There's a sport court inside the, uh, inside the auto show there. And a company like Toyota, they don't look at themselves as a car company. They look at themselves as a mobility company which is exactly why it fits. Yeah. It's what, why it can, all that, it connects the dots between our athletes and, you know, and then Rudy was told he will never walk. Yeah. His prosthetist, his whole mentality was, okay, I'm not looking for this kid to run. I want this kid to be a kid, to be able to play ball with the other kids. You know, yeah. So that's what he was designing legs. And Rudy broke 50 sets of legs. <laughs> every week he'd be breaking another he'd jump off a building he'd knowing be, rudy that's you know, not skateboarding shocking. yeah so anyways uh michael tells me this story that when he's like eight or nine years old he comes in and he broke the socket like on one of the legs yeah. and michael's like so rudy what happened he says well i was jumping off this building and uh you know the socket sort of shattered and so michael's holding the socket and he's tilting the socket up to sort of see where the break is and all these tootsie rolls come rolling out and he's realizing that his collaborator's eight years old and he's using his, he, he's using his socket to stash his stash just like any uh, other eight-year-old would. I, oh, why not? Why not? And the fact that this kid went on in 2009 and became the first double above the amputee to finish Ironman in Arizona and passed 141 people during the marathon uh, was, you know, it just, that's changing perceptions. That's what I think CF has done over our 30 years. And now we've raised $147 million and sent on over 40,000 grants to athletes in 73 countries, all 50 states in Puerto Rico, and more importantly, in 104 different sports. 104 sports. Who knew wow. there's 104 sports out there? And, and you think about that, Bob, and, and it's even more valuable. Like, yes, the athletes are getting that opportunity, but having able-bodied people, having, you know, um, adaptive sports athletes who don't never thought they could do anything having that visual that has to i mean that's worth more money than you can ever imagine absolutely and the other thing that's that's cool is you know it's it's great that rudy has a real you know, he's a real job one of the things when you read through these grants and our team just ran rode through read through 3700 grants for oh, 2023 geez. last wow. year we sent out 3,256 grants totaling $6.2 million. Um, and that's, we'll be doing that in, in March. Again, we'll be sending out grants all over the country. But wow. the, when, when people are applying for the grants, one of the things that hits you is the, the high level of unemployment uh, for people who are dealing with challenges. You're in a wheelchair, it's harder to get a job. You're visually right. impaired, it's harder to get a job. And so you look at their income, a lot of people, are, they're making $24,000, you know, $30,000, $7,000. You're like, oh my God, to get a yeah. wheelchair basketball chair that costs $5,000 when you make $18,000 a year is, you can't even think about it. So right. those being able to provide those grants and changing somebody's life through sport is the greatest gift that, that our team uh, provides is just making sure that anybody who needs help uh, who's a challenge athlete gets it. Make sure you go to challengeathletes.org and you can find out more. You can donate, you can, you can fundraise, you can, you know, there's so many great things that people can do. And, you know, one of the great, I've been able to, you know, do a few things. Operation rebound is one of the ones that I, um, did, uh, when I did the Oceanside that I yep. ran for and, 
tell me more about that because that's that's sure. a huge component too because there's so many different components of adaptive athletes but this yeah. operation rebound really is hammers home for the military and, and you know and first responders well and, and and what happened was with during iraq and afghanistan during the war there is like all these guys who because of the protective vests that people were wearing people were not dying like they used to on the battlefield. A lot of people right. were coming back missing multiple limbs and or paralyzed. So those those folks deserve the, the and the government uh, military will provide a prosthetic leg. They'll provide the equipment. But what they don't provide is a mentoring. So somebody, you know, somebody loses an arm and they come they're at Walter Reed Hospital and number one, the spiraling depression that goes with I am no. part of a fraternity sorority of, of, uh, of, of soldiers. And now I'm, because of my injury, I'm gone. You feel like you've let people down. You felt like you've deserted your guys who are still there. And right. you, now you're missing a body part. And when you used to feel you were Superman or Superwoman, now you're feeling lesser than. So the key is to avoid that spiraling depression, to get someone to sport as quickly as possible. Perfect example, we had a guy named Eric McIlvaney who lost his leg to an IED in Afghanistan in, I think it was fall, like November 2011. It, by the spring, by February of 2012, he was fitted with a prosthetic leg. By the spring, he did a sprint triathlon. By the fall, he did a half Ironman super frog triathlon. And the following fall, being a Pittsburgh native, he ended up on the Become One uh, chocolate milk team with Heinz Ward, his hero yeah. at Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, that, uh, I think it was 2013, they did the Ironman. And I think Eric beat him by an hour. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. He, he's got to yeah. rub that in. <laughs> exactly. But it's the cool part is, and here's this guy who now is a father of, um, I think he's got three kids now. But Usually when you go, you know, the progression triathlon and, oh, yeah. and running, you go from 5K to 10K to longer, right? Well, he's done multiple, he's done a lot of Ironman and then going into 2020, he decided he wanted to go for the Olympics, the Paralympics. And he made the Paralympics and fin I think he finished sixth in the uh, Paralympic Games no and kidding. he's training for Paris and he's hoping to go to Paris. And actually my, my favorite Eric story is when he first lost his leg, he received the blue placard, the handicap placard that you okay. can hang on your windshield or hang on your uh, rearview mirror. And he's got it, and he's like, I'm never going to use this, and he threw it away. Well, the following year, he gets it again, comes in the mail, and he says, you know what? I'll keep it in the glove box. You never know. Uh, it could be uh, during Christmas time, hard to find a parking space. Maybe I'll make use of it. <laughs> so he's Christmas shopping with his daughter, and they drive in, and there's no parking, so he decides, oh, what the heck? He pulls in this spot, hangs his uh, blue placard, his handicapped placard on the rearview mirror and gets out and his five-year-old is like, daddy, what was that blue ticket that you hung on the rearview mirror? <laughs> and he goes, well, honey, that's, I can use that to park here because daddy only has one leg. And his daughter's also goes, but daddy, you have six legs. You have a cycling leg. You have a skiing leg. <laughs> you have a rock climbing oh, leg. Child mind. You have a water leg. Yeah, so that's the Eric McIlvaney story, and it's uh, he, he's I love it. Fun. But but that that's the other side of that. And then the one of the first uh, soldiers we helped um, was David Roselle, who was blown up in a Humvee over in Iraq, uh, and he was I think he was a major at the time. He came back, 
And he came back and he, you know, got his prosthetic leg. But meanwhile, he was, um, uh, he was self-medicating. Uh, he wow. knew he could take his medication at X time every day. And in between he was drinking and, you know, he was counting down the minutes till he could take his medication. And he goes, I wasn't a good father. I wasn't a good husband. I was just worried about my next dose. Right. And then a letter arrived at the house. And it was a letter that he had sent to his wife before he was blown up. And he realized that that letter, that she would have received that letter after he was dead. All right. What? Yeah, because he had sent this letter. Then he got blown up. Then he comes home. And a few weeks later, this letter shows up. Right. He realizes this would have been the last letter my wife received. And look at the person I am right now. I need to change everything cold turkey he cut all the medication he got back in shape he became the first guy to go back into to go back to iraq and lead his men in battle with a prosthetic leg and oh. his book he wrote a book called back in action that tells that whole story and then we uh got he did iron man after he, he got out after he got back he can't went and did kona yeah. he actually did idaho did Lane first but when he went to do kona it was really important to him because he knew all his men would be looking at the photos. So right. before he finished, he stopped a quarter mile from the finish, got a sponge, toweled off, you know. And when he comes across the line, he's saluting and he's looking strong and powerful. And that was really important to him to wow. not look like he just made it, but to look like, hey, I am back. I am all the way back. Wow. That's so powerful. And then we expanded Operation Rebound to include not just uh, not just um, uh, military, but all first responders. So we have a woman That's named Shelly Tebot, who's from uh, New Jersey area and worked in a prison. And a 500-pound food cart hit her from behind and basically blew out her leg. And she tried to save that leg forever and ever and ever. And I think it was like 10, 12 years, tried to save the leg and gained a ton of weight. And her, her mom, her mom, her daughter climbed up on her one time when she was in the hospital for another one of her operations. And it was like, mommy, will you always, will you always be injured? And I was like, oh my God, oh, how do I man. deal with that? And she- yeah. So what happened is she, she was somehow found the Challenge Athletes Foundation grant site, and she asked for a, uh, a hand cycle. And Nico, Nico Marcolongo, who runs our program and is amazing an amazing, person. amazing <laughs> personality, Nico immediately responds and is like, "Hey, uh, you know what? We've got uh, we've got a clinic coming up here. Our San Diego Triathlon Challenge is coming up. Let us fly you here to San Diego." And she goes, "So here's this strange guy." I don't know who the hell he is. I've never <laughs> been out of New Jersey. And he's saying he wants to put me on a plane and fly me to San Diego. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, how sketchy does this sound? Yeah, exactly. But she does it. And so she's at there when the our bike ride comes in. And she sends a photo. You know, she, says, she sends this photo to her husband. Should I know this guy? It was Bill Walton riding in. On his, oh, my gosh. His, yeah, 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 riding in a bike. And her husband's like, Bill Walton is there? Anyways, <laughs> Shelly was so big that it took like five people to carry her to the ocean at La Jolla Shores. Oh, they wow. got her in a wetsuit, got her in, in the water, and she was petrified. 
gets out yeah. in the water and it's overcast. And then she, you know, all of a sudden she like just looks up and the sun is coming through and hitting her right in her, right in the chest. And she's like looking up and goes, oh, this is where I'm meant to be. Well, she's now oh, done wow. 11 triathlons. Uh, yeah. She's an amazing person. Totally turned her life around, lost a ton of weight and has been to a number of our camps and clinics and has become a triathlete. And it's, uh, it's the coolest thing. It is the coolest thing that, I, and my, my, everything about you, Bob, is it, it always, I love talking to you because you tell stories of other people. Like you're, you're very humble to what you, I mean, obviously what I read in the beginning is just a piece of who you are, Bob. And you've created this huge, amazing, um, beast of, uh, challenge athletes foundation, but you also, um, tell the stories of the pros too. And I, I love to like highlight that because you like to, uh, you bring the human out in the pros. What is it? What is it like? What did it take when you first started talking to them to really find that, um, that edge when you're doing those podcasts? When you look back in 1980, uh, I did the third ever Ironman, Ironman in Hawaii, in Hawaii was on Oahu. And yep. another guy who was in that race was Dave Scott. And, you know, so at that point I was 28, maybe Dave was, a, you know, 25 or 24. So these were my contemporaries. These were people yeah. I was friends with. So over the years covering when I went to, uh, when we started competitor magazine, 87, uh, the whole idea was I love these guys and I love what they brought to the table. And if you think about, you know, the, the really throughout the eighties, it was Dave Scott, Mark Allen, Scott Tinley, Scott Molina, and three of the four yeah. were in San Diego. And, you know, I'd see them on a regular basis and we were, we were friends and we were all trying to grow the sport. So we had a vested interest in, I had a vested interest in more people finding out about them. And I wanted the, when we started, uh, what was called, uh, competitor radio back in 1990 and I, I went to a local oh, radio station here in san diego and the whole yeah. idea was i said listen I, I would like to buy radio time and i don't care give me your off hour it doesn't matter what it is so they gave me two hours on sunday night who the hell wants two hours on sunday night well, i did <laughs> it was perfect for us because we'd sum up what happened over the weekend sum yeah. up the different running events the triathlons events. and but in the meantime so somebody who listened to sports radio was listening to magic about interviews with magic Johnson and Wayne Gretzky and all these big names. Well, yeah. then they'd hear an interview with Dave Scott, Mark Allen, Paul Newby Frazier, Davis Finney, uh, Alberto Salazar, Lance Armstrong. And they would go, well, if they're on sports radio, they must be important. Right. right. That, that was my whole mentality. I wanted our athletes to be accepted and looked at as, as special because they are. And yeah. over the years, it's just gone from, you know, Dave Scott, Mark Allen to Chris McCormick, Craig Alexander to um, Daniela Reef and Lucy Charles Barkley. But the, the thing, what's the same is Dave Scott was uh, a swim coach. Mark Allen wanted to potentially go to, into medicine. Scott Tinley wanted to be a paramedic. Jan Ferdano's wow. mom got him into swimming because she was scared he'd die in the surf in South Africa. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sky Monch, when we were interviewing Sky Monch at Salt Lake, I Salt Lake in St. George for the uh, St. George World, the Ironman when I was in St. George, the World Championship, yeah. we, were, we were at Zion's Bank doing the interview. And she goes, you know what? I was a teller at Zion's Bank. 
And <laughs> when she graduated high school, Sky's parents basically said, we cannot afford college for you. If you go decide to go to college, you're going to have to pay for it. So she cleaned houses and she worked as a teller as she graduated with owing nothing with her CPA. And, you know, so she, she, the person watching or listening at home understands that they think that our athletes were, they were like LeBron James or right. Ronaldo. They were identified <laughs> as young superstars and they were funded and coddled. And no, you know, Sky Monch paid, worked her way through college to get a CPA and then found out that she had a talent for triathlon, right? Wow. Uh, yeah. Chris McCormick had a great job. He, his whole growing up, everything was about education. He had a great job as an accountant overlooking he had a, a, an office overlooking Sydney Opera House, you know, in the oh, Sydney geez. Harbor. And he he loved the sport of triathlon and went to his boss and said, I'm quitting. You know, and his boss was like, to do what? And he said, I'm going to be a professional triathlete. And he's like, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> so then for a number of weeks, Maca, Maca would go to every day. His dad would drive him to the train station. Well, Maca had quit his job, but he couldn't tell his dad that he had quit his job because he knew his dad would be so disappointed in him. So <laughs> wow. he would get his, up in the morning, put his suit and tie on. Dad would take him to the train station. Maca would wait for his dad to leave, go back home, ride his bike, go run, go swim. And eventually he it got to the point where he had to tell mom and dad what he was doing. And he was, you know, he was so worried. He says, you know, you'd rather have your dad just scream at you, you when they get right. quiet and they're disappointed. That's when you know that's not a good thing. So yep. dad was quiet and, and, and Chris was like, you know, dad, please don't be disappointed. And his dad was like, Chris, just promise me this. You need to go. If you're going to do this, do this 100 percent. Don't right. do this halfway. And back then, and it's still the same. If you're in Australia or New Zealand, you want to be a professional triathlete. There is not a lot of racing there. You've got to go to Europe. You've got to go to the States, which means you're not doing it for the weekend. You're not going for the weekend to Europe. You're, you're going and you're spending months there. So yeah, Maca to, went yeah. to Europe and there was a series in France where you could race on Friday then take a, a train to Switzerland overnight, and that way you don't have to pay for a hotel, and then race on Saturday and Sunday, and then you know, figure out where you're going to stay the next week. So oh, he, he, in one weekend, he made $1,000 and thought he was the richest guy in the world. And, <laughs> you know, and that guy became a two-time Ironman world champion and, and the best in the world. But it wasn't wow. because he was coddled or put through some programs, because as a person, as a person listening can relate to, it was because he believed in himself and yeah. because he believed in this sport that the sport would change his life for the better. So I think those stories resonate because, yeah. you know, also the other cool thing is when I'm with Chris McCormick or Mark Allen or Jan Ferdana or whoever, or Lucy, I can sit down and say, Hey, Lucy, we were both racing in St. George together. How was the wind for you? at mile 30 of the bike. How was the bike course? How was the run course? I can't go and tee it up with Tiger at the Masters. I can't go yeah. and play with Federer at Wimbledon. But I can yeah. be in Kona treading water with the greatest athletes on the planet racing the same course on the same day. There, there's That's just amazing. something unique about our, our, uh, our sport that changes lives in so many different ways. I love that. I love them. You can go to babbittville.com and you can listen to all the great, amazing uh, interviews that uh, Bob does. 
Um, also, again, I want to mention uh, challengeathletes.org. You have a wonderful book, too, called Never a Bad Day. You can uh, oh, check thanks, that man. out on Amazon. I love that. Your stories, man. You, we, need to, we need to make even a bigger book than just Never a Bad Day. <laughs> it's, I, I, I love it. I, hey, I, I've appreciated you having, being on here today, Bob. And uh, I always end with the same three questions. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. If you could go back to your 18 year old self, you know, being 25 now, it's not yeah, that course. long yeah. ago. It's not that long. Um, a couple of years. Yeah. 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 Uh, what would, what would be one piece of advice that you give yourself at 18? Phew. At, at, at 18, I wish I had heard what Jim Knob told me when I was a little older. Don't ever underestimate anybody. Just, just keep, have an open mind to anything and everything. Cause you never know the, you know, I remember the first person who came to us and talked about, you know, online registration and, you know, you wouldn't, because back then, if you yeah. wanted to register for a race, you'd pick up competitor magazine, you'd cut out the application, fill out the application, mail it in, hope somebody got it. And then they would send you a bib number in the mail. It was, it was a long You just process. blew the mind of half of our audience. I know. Online <laughs> registration back in 98 or whenever that was changed the whole face of our, of, uh, of our, it changed the whole face of our industry. Yeah. Oh, by far. Oh, I wish I had, we invested in active early on. We were partner in active.com, but I didn't quite understand. I wish I knew more. All right. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Qu- question number two. Uh, if you know, everybody's going through challenges and struggles, what would be two habits that you would say that if people could incorporate into their lives that they could continue to move forward? Two habits. Well, one habit is obviously just, uh, just the whole fitness thing, just every single day. Right. It's, you have to make time for it. It needs, like for me, did my, you know, my 7 a.m. hot yoga class, getting in there and schwitzing for an hour. It, it just, it loosens everything up. And when you get old, it's really important to, uh, <laughs> to stay Wait, loose. But are you just, in those Lululemon spandex? Cause I, oh, this, big I, time. Oh, yeah. Oh, Anything there goes the I mental do. image. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I usually brush out my chest hair beforehand. Oh, just, that's uh, a, that's amazing. Puffy. Just shirtless that's and a good Lululemon look. pants. Oh, yeah. I like it, Bob. Shirtless. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I wear big old baggy shorts. I'm not, I'm not that rude. Uh, but there are some guys in there who wear the bun huggers and you're like, dude, you need to, you need to get, find some board shorts quickly. Uh, but yeah, that would be one is just, you, you have to incorporate and you have to adapt and you hear this from the pros and you hear this from the age grouper. So, you know, when you get to be 40, 45, whatever, you can still do a lot of the same workouts. You just need to take more recovery time. There's no reason to change everything, but just adapt to age and all and get into weight. Dave Scott was really the first guy I knew who was doing a lot of weight training and uh, strength training will make a huge difference. You don't, yeah, yeah, you don't see a lot of really overweight 80 year olds, right? So I think the key is you want to stay, you want to stay lean, watch your, watch your weight and always, always, always be, be working out. You need to, you need at least an hour a day of something. Right. No, I love that. This, this this last question is is I'm excited to hear what what your answer is. So if you could have uh, coffee with three individuals, they could be deceased or alive, at a firehouse table. So in other okay. words, any question is not off the table; they have to answer it. Who would those three people be, and why? Mm, okay, so three people. Oh my god! I you like know, I I'm a hist- I'm a history guy, so I, I like yeah. uh, I would love to sit with. Um, I want Churchill there. 
Oh, I love it. Yeah, and World War II is something I, I spent a lot of time you know, reading about. One of my former writers, a competitor, Marty Dugard, wrote all the Killing Lincoln, Killing Patton, Killing Kennedy books with Bill O'Reilly. Really? And now he's got a new series of books, um, uh, Taking, Taking Paris, Taking Berlin. Okay. And I'm just fascinated with that whole era. But I would, I would love to sit with uh, Churchill, Roosevelt, and... Um, and the other one, really, a guy who I, I would like to know more about is is JFK. I think those three yeah. would be very fascinating to sit down with. I love it. I love it. Hey, Bob, thanks so much for everything you do and for joining me today. Make sure you go to uh, challengeathletes.org. And if you want to listen to more, Bob, who doesn't want to? Uh, <laughs> go to babbittville.com. You can find uh, uh, all of his episodes Bob, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, thanks for coming on today. Anytime, Robbie. Take care of yourself, brother. Thanks for listening and supporting the Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast, and please share this episode with a friend or family. To find out more about Fireman Rob or reach out about a question, go to www.firemanrob.com. Until next time, live your life forged in the fires.